nearly 18 years to get justice for the murder of Rita Kaleo, but justice has been done. But this story of a husband organising a hit on his wife involved the murder of her brother as well. This is the story of Rita Kaleo's murder. Host Gambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Tonight we have a story about an evil little man that would have an affair, get into financial difficulties and when his wife tried to write him out of her will, he organised to have her murdered by a Tongan thug. Not only would Rita Kaleo die, but her brother Dr Michael Lawrence Chai would also die under suspicious circumstances. Now, this evil little man was Mark Richard Kaleo. So, as always, let's get a bit of background on this case. A lot of this will be directly from court records. Rita Kaleo was born in Malaysia in 1950 and came to Australia in 1980. She was the daughter of a Malaysian police officer who targeted Malaysian organised crime figures for the majority of his policing career. She lived in an apartment in Darlinghurst. She met Mark Kaleo in 1984 when she was aged 34 and he was 22. They were married the following year. The couple thereafter lived in homes at St Ives and Kalara and then in an apartment at Circular Quay. You have to have quite a bit of dough to live in these areas. A short time before Rita's murder, they had moved to a townhouse at 69 Bay Street, Double Bay, or as it's known, Double Pay. They lived there with their two young daughters and a nanny. Mark and Rita acquired and ran cafes in Waverley and Crow's Nest, And then at around the end of 1986, they started a restaurant in the Queen Victoria building, which they called Caleo's Ristorante Italiano. Now, that's only two minutes' walk from me. It was quite a successful business with plenty of cash flow. They also started a similar business in Kuala Lumpur in early to mid-1988, and a hotel and restaurant at Brightonley Sands in 1989, and that's just south of Sydney. The Kaleos lived well. Rita had a liking for expensive jewellery. She had between 150 and 200 pieces of jewellery. Mark said that the last lot of jewellery she purchased was about $50-odd-thousand worth. She bought jewellery with cash from jewellers in Chinatown. Mark liked nice cars, having owned Porsche, Mercedes-Benz and Rolls-Royces. 
Now, Rita had a brother called Michael Chai. Actually, Dr. Michael Chai, he had a surgery at Hurstville, south of Sydney. He lived in a large house in one of Sydney's wealthier suburbs, Wallara, just before his death. On the outside, things looked rosy for Mark and Rita, but there were troubles in the relationship with Mark having affairs, especially with a woman named Janice Yap. Now, Janice was the same age as Mark, and remember, Rita was 12 years older than him. Rita was understandably upset about the affair her husband was having, and she spoke to quite a few friends about it. Now, on the 15th of December 1987, Dr. Michael Chai, Rita's brother, purchased two adjoining properties at Blakehurst, about 30 minutes' drive south of Sydney. The seller was in financial difficulties at the time and agreed to sell them to Chai on the understanding that once he overcame his financial problems, he would able be able to buy back one of the properties. When he did overcome his problems, Chai refused to sell it back to him. I think Chai got these cheap because of the deal and had no qualms about reneging on selling the property back to the original owner. The original owner then placed a caveat on the properties. Now, this restricted Chai's ability to on-sell the properties. Now, a caveat, if you don't know, is a type of statutory injunction preventing the registration of particular dealings with real property. A caveat acts as a warning or formal notice to tell the public that there is an interest on the land or property for a particular reason. Now, this really pissed off Michael Chai. Anyway, Mark Kaleo expressed an interest in one of the properties and Chai was interested in buying another property at 5 Atunga Street, Wallara. Now, Chai needed to sell the Blakehurst property to finance the new Wallara place. Now, I'll be reading directly from court records here, or, or mainly. On the 17th of June, 1989, Mark Kaleo entered into a contract to purchase 16 Pleasant Way at Blakehurst from Dr. Chai, for $3.475 million. However, Kaleo failed to secure the necessary finance, thereby placing himself in an adverse financial position. He'd paid the 10% deposit of $347,500 using borrowed funds. However, after discovering the existence of that caveat I told you about, he stopped payment of the cheque. Now, this constituted a termination of the contract. On the 6th of July, 1989, Kaleo solicitor John Morrissey advised Kaleo that the effect of cancelling payment of the deposit was to entitle Dr. Chai, his brother-in-law, to sue for the amount of the deposit as well as any associated loss from the termination of the contract for sale. On the 11th of July 1989, Kaleo informed Mr Morrissey that he did not wish to proceed with the purchase, but after receiving advice, he decided he'd have to commit to the purchase. 
So another week later, on the 19th of July, 1989, Dr. Chai's solicitor successfully removed the caveat attached to the properties. So now there's no drama in buying the properties. On the 5th of October, 1989, Dr. Chai again agreed to sell the property at 16 Pleasant Way, Blakehurst, to Mr. Kaleo, this time for $3.625 million. So it's going up. In the meantime, Dr. Chai had used bridging finance to complete the purchase of his new Wallara property and had moved into it. However, he was getting anxious about Kaleo's ability to complete the purchase of the Blakehurst property by the required date. His failure to do so would impact upon Dr. Chai's ability to pay the bridging finance on the Willara property. Kaleo was still unable to secure the required funds. And Mr. Morrissey, his solicitor, advised him that he faced financial ruin if he could not settle on the Blakehurst property. Mark Kaleo asked him how he could get out of the contract but Mr. Morrissey advised him that he could not. Soon after, Kaleo contacted Morrissey and asked him to explain the clause in the contract for sale relating to death and mental illness. He was advised that it was a standard clause that gave either party the right to get out of the contract if one of the parties was to die or become mentally ill with the deposit being refunded. In the days leading up to the murder of Dr. Chai on the 16th of October 1989, Miss Margaret Williams, the receptionist at Dr. Chai's surgery, witnessed Kaleo attending in an agitated state. According to her, Kaleo entered a consultation room where he and Dr. Chai had a heated argument. Kaleo slammed the surgery door when he left. Dr. Chai informed Ms. Williams that the argument was in relation to the Blakehurst property sale and told her, I had the little bastard on his knees. I gave him an extension. If he doesn't pay, I'll sue him for everything he's got. Fucking nice. (sighs) Shit like this gets people killed. And as you'll see as the story goes on. Now, Chai would tell many of his friends about the problems he was having trying to get the payment for the property out of his brother-in-law and he would also tell them how Kaleo had threatened him and that his life would be in danger if he tried to sue him. Now, with Kaleo becoming desperate and threatening, I mean, once he told Chai, if you don't stop pushing, you're going to find yourself dead. Now, Chai was determined to sue his brother-in-law over the sale of the property and to financially ruin him. Now, I'll just stop here for a minute. Kaleo wants to buy a property from his brother-in-law, but ends up not being able to afford it. Instead of just letting it go and try to sell to someone else, Chai wants to try to force the sale and sue for damages which would financially destroy Kaleo and obviously affect his own sister, Kaleo's wife, Rita. What sort of prick is this chai, for fuck's sake? Anyway, let's go on. Anthony Stambolas. He was employed by Kaleo at Kaleo's Italian restaurant at the QVB. 
Queen Victoria building and worked there regularly with either Kaleo or his brother, Jared Kaleo. Stambolis was about 16 years old when he met Mark and Rita Kaleo when he got a job as a trainee waiter at the QVB restaurant. He came to know the Kaleos quite well and he became a trusted employee who was given additional responsibilities. On one occasion before Dr Chai was murdered, Stambolis was in a car with Kaleo. They were discussing Dr Chai and as they passed a service station, or gas station, at Woolloomooloo, Kaleo pointed at the service station and said words to the effect of, somebody working in there by the name of Rick is going to fix Michael. Stambolis asked why he meant by fix, and Kaleo replied, finish him off. At about 5.30pm on October the 16th, 1989, Dr. Chai drove his car into the garage of his Wallara home. He was fatally shot by an unknown offender three times as he was getting out of his car, twice to the head, once to the right shoulder, and the perp was able to get away before the garage door closed behind him. He died at the scene. Police said that it looked like a professional hit. Now, Rita was quite upset over the murder of her brother and spent most of the next six months after the funeral in Kuala Lumpur where she had family, friends and business interests. Now, police had few clues to go on. And back in the day, as the boys from True Crime all the time always say, g'day Gibby and Fergie, Back in the day, they didn't have all the CCTV, mobile phone records, DNA and the like to help them investigate these sort of crimes. On the 16th of May 1990, Rita Kaleo saw a solicitor, Mr John Morrissey, which of course was the family solicitor. She changed her will, removing her husband as beneficiary and inserting an explanation for doing so which included... He has been unfaithful to me during the course of our marriage on at least two occasions of which I'm aware and that he has enough assets of his own. So she wouldn't have said it with such a gruff voice but you you can see she wasn't too happy about him rooting around. Now Kaleo is out of financial difficulties for the moment. Now that Michael Chai was dead and apparently... Chai had chopped his sister Rita out of his will as well. Nasty move on your sister, mate. Maybe it was so Mark Kalea would never get his grubby hands on his money. Dunno. The thing is, now Rita was talking divorce, and this would mean a property settlement, which would again place a huge financial strain on Mark Kalea. Rita would end up giving her solicitor a letter to be opened in case of her untimely death. Now it read, In the event that my death is unnatural, direct the investigation to my husband Mark Kaleo and Rick Demelian of Rick Demelian Used Cars. My brother's death is also their doing. Mark still owes Rick $130,000 for that. He gets very desperate if he is squeezed financially like I'm doing to him as a result of his affair with Janice Yap, 
daughter of Ong Ching Chai of Kuala Lumpur. This is absolute truth. Please do not let Mark get away with this. Demelian used someone from South America for this job. Rita Kaleo. This letter was stapled to her will and, as I said, to be opened in the event of her untimely death. Now, this Rick Demelian character used to own a load of car yards in Sydney. He and his brother sold new and used prestige cars and were dealers for Honda, Peugeot and other makes. Rick's brother ended up leaving the business and as he was the brains of the operation, it ended up going broke. So we have Rita so worried about her life after her brother was murdered and she thinks murdered by her husband that she's given a letter to her solicitor and yet she comes back from KL. She still lives with him in the family home with her kids and the nanny. It is generally accepted that she did not leave him straight away as she feared for her life if she were to contact police over her brother's murder. Which is fair enough, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Now as things were getting frosty between Mark and Rita Kaleo, Mark was desperate to avoid a messy divorce, which would mean there would be a splitting up of assets, which in effect would make him sell off all his businesses and property. The restaurant game is quite a good business if you get it right as there is a large amount of cash that can be hidden from the tax department. If you get it right, it can be like printing money and by all accounts, Mark and Rita's restaurants were doing quite well. So Mark approached his brother Gerard Kaleo to find someone who could do a job for him. In turn, Gerard Kaleo contacted Anthony Stambolis, who was working at the restaurant, to see if he could find someone to do something dodgy for him. Stambolis knew a guy that he purchased pot from who was a bouncer up at King's Cross Paradise Club in Sydney's notorious red light district. Stambolis didn't know his name, he just knew him as the Tongan. His real name was Alani Afu. Alani Afu was born in 1967 He was 23 at the time when he was contacted by Stambolis. From court records, Afu was born and raised in Tonga. He has no memories of his father, who died in an industrial accident when Afu was aged three. The family lived in the home of the maternal grandparents. His primary recollection of childhood is poverty. His mother repartnered when he was aged about eight. In 1982, Afu, aged 14, and his younger brother relocated to Australia under the care of an uncle who lived at Mascot, that's near the airport. He felt unwanted and that his uncle would flog him when he misbehaved. He also felt disconnected from his family but the standard of living was appreciably higher than in Tonga. He had moved to live with another uncle in Sydney when he was aged 17, but his behaviour deteriorated and he moved out to live independently at the age of 18. Afu's education was truncated and he left school during year 10. He only had basic reading and writing skills. 
Afu was described as being in the later 1980s fully immersed in an outwardly criminal lifestyle, spending his time in King's Cross and coming in and out of jail. Substance abuse was an issue with Afu's life from his mid-teenage years. Afu engaged in drug-related crime, having no regard for the consequences of his behaviour, only being focused on remaining drug-affected. Afu had significant criminal history in Australia, which included offences of stealing, assault and assaults occasioning actual bodily harm, resisting and hindering police, robberies including in-company, car theft, possessing an offensive implement, drug supply, kidnapping and maliciously inflicting grievous bodily harm. So the kind of guy you don't want to come across but would do your dirty deeds, dunder cheap, dirty deeds, dunder cheap, that kind of guy. So Stambolus asks Afu the Tongan if he's interested in a house robbery of jewellery, which would be set up as an insurance job. Afu asked about the jewellery and its location, and Stambolus told him there would be hundreds of thousands of dollars worth, and it would be in bedside drawers, tables, and a tall boy. Whatever the fuck that is. He would be given $2,000 for what would take only a few minutes. Afu agreed and Stambolus told Gerard and Mark that he had a guy willing to do the robbery. Now as time passed and Afu was wondering when this job was supposed to happen, Stambolus asked Mark Kaleo what was up and Kaleo told him he would talk about it later. Now Rita at this time was in Kuala Lumpur after the death of her brother. Afu told Stambolus that he wasn't interested anymore and when Mark Kaleo found out, he was furious. He then told Stambolus to go to the Tongan and tell him, rather than 2000 for the robbery, that he was now offering 10000 for a murder and to make it look like a robbery gone wrong. Stambolus was freaked out by this, but Kaleo assured him that no one was really going to die. He could not afford the heat after the death of Dr. Chai. It would just be an insurance job that would not raise a brow. Stambolus accepted Kaleo's assurance, so he went back to Afu and said, My boss has asked me to have someone murdered for $10,000, but you have to take the jury... Make it look like a robbery gone bad. Afu took some time to consider the proposal, but he eventually agreed. One night, Stambolus took Afu and Afu's 15-year-old pregnant stripper girlfriend Cindy, now that's not her real name, for a drive to Double Bay. He and Afu got out of the car and walked around so he could show Afu the balcony leading to the bedroom occupied by Rita Kaleo. He told Afu that the door to the balcony would be left open so that he could push it open and walk in. This is pretty nasty stuff, isn't it? So, it's the 7th of August 1990. Police post a $50,000 reward for information on the murder of Dr. Michael Chai. Now, that's a lot of money. 
money that even wealthy Rita Kaleo might be interested in or that Mark Kaleo might think she would be interested in. Anyway, a couple of days later, on the 9th of August, 1990, Rita had organised a dinner party at her home with four of her friends. At around 4pm, Mark Kaleo went home and he told the nanny that he was just stopping in to pick up some business cards. What he actually did was to go upstairs and unlock the balcony door so Afu the Tongan could make his way inside later that night. At around 10pm, the nanny took herself and the kids up to their respective bedrooms for the night. By midnight, all of Rita's dinner guests had gone home and she also went up to the master bedroom for the night. That evening, Stambolis was working at the QVB restaurant while Mark Kaleo chose to work at the Brightonly Sands restaurant. After closing up at around 9.30 to 10pm, Stambolis drove to King's Cross where he picked up Afu and Cindy. Just before 1am, he drove them to Double Bay and parked near the Kaleo home. Afu got out of the car and made his way to the balcony outside Rita's bedroom. He entered via the door that had been left unlocked for him, but he disturbed Rita and she screamed. He proceeded to stab her repeatedly and left her dying on the ensuite bathroom floor. He took her jewellery from where he had been told it would be and then fled back to the awaiting car with Stambolus and Cindy inside. Afu was bleeding from a deep cut to his hand. Afu shouted at Stambolus to drive the fucking car and then told them that he had stabbed the slut. Stambolus at first thought he was talking about the nanny but Afu reassured him that it was not. While they were making their getaway, the nanny, after hearing noises coming out of Rita's room and which was now silent, went to investigate and found Rita covered in blood dead on the bathroom floor. She called police. Now, police couldn't find evidence of a forced entry anywhere in the house. Also, they noticed that although there was a lot of expensive jewellery missing, the place was not ransacked at all. Now, as you know, this is a red flag for an inside job and pretty much a rookie mistake by the perp but he didn't really have time to ransack the place as Rita woke up as soon as he entered her room via the balcony. Once he'd stabbed her and took the loot, he was gone. Now, this murder happened on a Friday, and on the following Monday, the 13th of August, Mark Kaleo signed a cheque made out to cash for $10,000. On the Tuesday... Gerard Kaleo, Mark's brother, and Stan Bolas went to Afu's house where Cindy was present and paid him $10,000 for the murder. Afu, spending his money wisely, immediately went out and bought a Holden Statesman, blowing his hard-earned cash. Now, that is a total bogan move, especially buying a Holden Statesman. Anyway, 
So now we have both Michael Chai and his sister Rita Kaleo both murdered within a year. Police still do not have any real leads on the Michael Chai murder, but they did investigate a link between the murders and an investigation in 1989 by the Hong Kong Independent Commission Against Corruption into multi-million dollar fraud involving a Hong Kong bank. Apparently, Michael and Rita's bank accounts were used in the fraud. Now, they were not found to be involved, but they did give evidence. However, police ruled out any connection between the Hong Kong ICAC investigations and their murders. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's always the spouse, and then you move outward from there when investigating a murder. Now, police did have the letter that Rita wrote and gave to her solicitor just before her death. They were able to get witnesses to make statements that Michael Chai and Mark Kaleo had violent arguments over money. But somehow, they could not get enough evidence to charge anyone over the murders. Even a coronial inquest found that Michael and Rita had been killed by a person or persons unknown. Now, just a side note, that car dealer, Rick Demelian, I mentioned before in Rita's note, well, just a couple of years before before all this happened, his wife was found murdered with a steak knife in her chest at her home. The coroner also found that she'd been killed by a person or persons unknown. You can't make this shit up. There's people dying everywhere. Police also found that even though Mark Kaleo had bought cars off Rick Demelian over a period of six years, there were other financial transactions which didn't match up to any of the car sales. Police did think that these were payments for the contract killing of Michael Chai, but as I said, they just couldn't get enough evidence to take it to court. So as Robin Water would say, then the trail went cold, which, by the way, is a great podcast you should check out if you haven't already. So the trail went cold as police could not get enough evidence to bring charges on either of the murders. Afu, he would end up being deported back to Tonga as he was constantly in and out of jail and over in Tonga he would marry and raise a family. He got off the drugs but still liked to drink. Cindy, his former girlfriend, she also got her shit together, got off the drugs and had a more normal life. But then, cold case detectives started going through old case files and the murders of Dr. Michael Chai and his sister Rita Kaleo caught their eye. Although the cases were 25 years old or so, they were able to contact most of the original witnesses and after going through the murder book, they believed they were able to press charges against Mark Kaleo, Jared Kaleo, Anthony Stambolis and Alani Afu. Cindy was at first hesitant, but then she agreed to be one of the main witnesses. So in 2014, Gerard Kaleo 
was arrested by police after returning from Thailand where he was a manager at the Hard Rock Cafe at Phuket. Alani Afu was extradited from Tonga. Stambola seemed to have done a deal to provide witness evidence and Mark Kaleo, he was also arrested. Mark Kaleo was charged with murder, being an accessory to murder and solicit to murder. He was released on $1 million bail after Magistrate John Andrews said the allegations against the 52-year-old were extremely serious, but the prosecution case was not strong. He also said the passage of time itself might impact upon the case. Gerard Kaleo, he was charged with murder, being an accessory to murder and solicit to murder. He was granted one million bail as well, and poor old Afu couldn't afford bail and spent his time before trial on remand. Eventually, Jared Kaleo had his charges dismissed after a key witness changed their story 11 times. Oh, you got to love it. So it would be Mark Kaleo and Alani Afu who would go to trial over the murders. 25 years later, you would surely think you were in the clear, wouldn't you? I wonder what it's like to be looking over your shoulder for that long, wondering if the knock on the door would be detectives wanting to ask you questions. Especially when you see the amount of cold cases and shit being solved on TV and in the news. So Mark Kaleo and Alani Afu both plead not guilty. And so then follows a lengthy and drawn-out court case with all this evidence and witness statements that were argued on whether any of it was admissible or not, given the reliability of the witnesses and just the memory of each witness, given the length of time that had gone by, by the time the case had gone to trial. So without going through all the boring courtroom detail, and I have actually told you the story of what happened already, on the 5th of April 2018, a jury found Mark Kaleo not guilty of soliciting the murder of Dr. Chai, but guilty of soliciting the murder of his wife, Rita Kaleo. Alani Afu was found guilty of the murder of Rita Kaleo. Now, of course, no one has been charged with the actual murder of Dr. Chai. Alani Afu was sentenced to imprisonment for the term of 20 years with a non-parole period of 15 years. The sentence was to date from 29th of January 2016. The non-parole period will expire on the 28th of January 2031 when Afu will become eligible for release on parole. Mark Kaleo was sentenced to imprisonment for a term of 12 years with a non-parole period of 9 years. The sentence is to date from 14th of June 2017. The non-parole period will expire on the 13th of June 2026 when Kaleo will become eligible for release on parole. There you go. I wonder how much money he's made and he's going to spend maybe only nine years in prison. 
Well, there was never enough evidence to link car dealer Rick Demelian with the murder of Dr. Chai. He was questioned but never faced any charges. So, Islanders' brother and sister murdered within months of each other. Money, greed and revenge was strong with these two and that greed put them in the situation where they would pay the ultimate price. Mark Kaleo was ruthless enough to at least kill his wife, probably killed her brother as well, but he was found not guilty, of course, on that charge. Just a little bit more on that property deal. Originally, a Dr. Bam, one of Chai's colleagues, offered to sell him both blocks for $800,000 each. Now, that was about $400,000 less than market value, as Bam was trying to hide assets in a bankruptcy hearing. So Dr. Bam is doing the dodgy. The gentleman's agreement was that Chai would lend Bam's wife $200,000 to clear debts And after two years, one of the properties would have the ownership placed into Bam's wife's name and she would then pay back the $200,000. Ha! Chai was just as dodgy as Dr. Wham Bam and said, Thank you, ma'am. These are mine now. I have them at a bargain price of $1.6 million plus the $200,000 loan and I can now sell them to my brother-in-law for $3.6 million a year later or so. Then he can buy his $2.2 million mansion for himself basically free. So even though the sale was falling through with his brother-in-law, instead of Chai just putting it back on the market, He wanted to go and sue him and his sister to financially ruin them, even after basically getting the properties for nothing. I mean, fuck, some people are greedy. Well, it probably got him killed in the end. Now, although Mark was found not guilty for the murder of Michael Chai, and no one has been charged over the actual act of murdering him, It looks pretty sus, and I reckon Mark Kaleo did commission the crime. But I guess as it's being a cold case and the police being able to at least get some justice over the murder of Rita Kaleo, it's the best outcome under the circumstances. It'd be interesting if they ever bring anyone to justice over that case, so maybe someone out there knows something. It's fascinating that this lot, as wealthy as they are, still had so much greed that they ended up killing each other. I mean, I can almost understand a few Darrows fighting it out over the last few drops of a goonie, but when, but when you probably have that much wealth, you could probably retire to an island and drink Mojitos for the rest of your life. Why the fuck do you endanger yourself over more money that you would never, ever need? And I I guess it's the kids and, of course, Rita that came out of this worse. Rita finds out her husband is rooting someone else and was trying to protect her future financial position while seeking a divorce. She was scared that Mark was going to kill her, but too scared to go to the police. I say, I will say it again, boom fuckalunga, what is wrong with people? I'll tell you now, if I ever 
get enough money to retire and just do the podcast from a deck chair with my beer, I'm, I'm going to do it. You can imagine if I did this full time and wasn't a wage slave during the week. Fuck's sake. That would be good. Anyway, that's what I'd do. So, Islanders, it's the end of the show. I hope you enjoyed it. I got a lot of feedback from last show. There were a few coffee through the nose and nearly crashing the car moments from some of the listeners. Look, I'll see what I can come up with next week. I do try to do one full case followed by a special edition sort of thing mash up the next week. Look, sometimes I do do episodes one after the other. It does all depend on how much time I have and how much research is involved. Anyway, first thing, I'll need to rename all the episodes and to do some Apple iTunes changes in the background. And it won't affect your feed, and I hope it doesn't trigger a complete download of all the episodes again. It shouldn't. But it should make the show compatible with the new iTunes formula. So the episode numbers will be gone. They will appear somewhere else, probably in your app. And it won't match the existing numbers. So enough of that boring sort of stuff. But if, if you see things change a little bit, that's, that's why. It won't be for a few weeks. It'll be when I get actual time to sit down and do it properly. On with the shout-outs for the new Patreon people for this week. And we have a few. We have Gary Childs jumping onto the top tier. Thank you so much, Gary. Also, Lindsay Tanaka is pledging on the top tier as well. Thank you very much. We also have Jared Colmeyer, Crystal Stern and Frankie Johnson all joining the ranks in deck chairs on the beach. Thank you all so much. So remember, on the $10 and $20 levels, after three months, you get to choose a mug or T-shirt of your choice. The mugs for the $10 pledges and the shirts for the $20 pledges. If you pledge $5, you get stickers sent to you after the first month. Please make sure if you are to get an award that your address is correct. And if you are expecting something and it hasn't made it to you, please just let me know just so I can sort something out. I think, as I said before, only a couple of things have ever gone missing in the post. So you too can help out the island for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to patreon.com forward slash truecrimeisland and get on board. But if you don't want a monthly commitment, you can also donate via PayPal at paypal.me forward slash true crime island a big shout out to Sharis for your donation thank you very much Sharis has suggested a couple of episodes also that i think you may find interesting i'll see what i can do in fact a big shout out to mike dakes who messaged me today and asked me if there was another way other than paypal to make a donation well i pointed him towards the shop and he ended up buying a couple of shirts good on you mike if you email me at cambo at truecrimeisland.com, I've stacks of koozies, keychains, stickers and lapel pins that I can post to you for a donation amount, which all depends on postage and the like. As Mike did, all other merch such as t-shirts, hoodies, tote bags, mugs of rage and the like is via the shop at truecrimeisland.threadless.com. Check out the new Mugger Rage design. Now, don't worry about all those dot .com-y dot .coms. 
there are links to everything at the website truecrimeisland.com so just go to the top click 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 now this is a totally listener supported show and i appreciate you all so much and i know how annoying those ads can be so remember every cent goes back into the island and it is greatly appreciated now You don't have to spend money to support the show. You can rate, review and share the love. Tell someone about the show and if they don't know what a podcast is, grab their phone and hook them up. Don't forget to join the closed group on Facebook. Hook up on Twitter and Instagram. The handle for those two is at True Crime Island and just search for the Facebook group. Our amazing mods or myself will let you in and hi to Jason and Senga. Also hi to Erica Little Biddy. Now I know you're waiting for a certain episode on a truly horrific crime. Now we're just waiting for the sentencing, okay? So that will be coming up soon. So tonight I have two promos and you know how True Crime Island loves to promote up and coming podcasts. So the first one is a new true crime podcast out of the UK called Seeing Red Podcast. Bethan and Mark take turns telling each other about true crime cases. Do yourself a favour, give it a listen. The other is the Unseen Podcast with Caprice. This is a podcast dedicated to UK missing people and unresolved cases. Again, do yourself a favour and check it out. Well, that's about all for tonight and lots of love to Maggie James. So this has been Cambo and you've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Boom fuckalunga. I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. And we are the hosts of a new UK true crime podcast, Seeing Red. We're planning to bring you an episode of Seeing Red every Wednesday, and we'll be taking it in turns to tell each other about a crime. The cases we're going to talk about will be from the UK. We'll be covering scams, robberies, murders, and everything in between. Some cases will be solved, but some will be mysteries, and we hope you'll enjoy listening to us discussing our theories on these. So, let's tell you a little bit about us. We've known each other for about five years and we absolutely love true crime. So we thought the next logical step for us would be a true crime podcast. You can find Seeing Red on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. And why not follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter to join a discussion thread about the case. Just search for Seeing Red, a UK true crime podcast. Hi, I'm Caprice and I'm the host of the Unseen Podcast. We look at missing person cases, unresolved crimes and lesser known stories from around the UK. We delve into cases that do not gain public attention, 
such as unidentified people and historic cold cases. If you're interested in true crime from the UK, then you might be interested in having a listen to The Unseen. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts.